0: and welcome to Indented, the English department's podcast here at UW-Green Bay. I'm your host, Rachel Sankey, a junior earning my BFA in writing and applied arts as well as English creative writing. As the world has taken a huge turn in 2020 due to COVID-19, Indented's theme for this semester follows along with it as we talk about what is getting people through the pandemic. On today's episode, special guest Deb Anderson and I will be expanding the conversation about letters and digging into their historical aspect, as well as tying into journal writing and diaries. And Dev, I'm super excited to have you here on the show today. Um, I can't wait to dig into the conversations about letters, writing, and the history of it all. I feel that it's a great tie-in and continuation to our last episode, and what a better person to come on and talk about it with me than yourself. So you're an archivist here at UW-Green Bay, and you work on the seventh floor of the Coffrin Library. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit?
1: Sure. So thank you, Rachel, for inviting me. I'm excited to join you on INDENT today, and I'm honored to share my experiences with diaries and letters that we have in the archives. Um, Over my 30 years of time here in this position as the director of UWGB archives, I've really fallen in love with historical diaries and letters for lots of reasons. They just have very rich history. They can be tactile, like to hold in your hand somebody's five-year diary and unlock it for the first time after humanity in history. So it's like some of my all time most favorite collections that um, I'm able to work with here in the archives.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And I know we just talked about this too,
1: how I said I'm not a huge
0: history fan, but then going through some of the files that we're going to talk about, it was super interesting um, just for me to even go through a small section. So I can't even imagine how fun your job must be to, <laughs> to do that every day. Very so, fun. <laughs> in the last episode with c we um, talked a lot. Well, we were back and forth on a lot of things, but we definitely talked about how um, sending letters back and forth right now, again, is like we're holding on to physical pieces of history, and it's kind of hard to imagine us living in history with the pandemic until, of course, this pass, which hopefully will be soon. Um, But while I was going through the um, digitized files you sent me of the World War II letters from the Smith family in De Pier, I found a ton of, um, well, I found it really interesting that so much of the language that they used back um, between 1941 and 1945 sounded almost identical to so many things that I've been hearing people say um, and even myself say over the past like seven, eight months. um, uh, Of course theirs is different because they were talking about the state of war and with us it's (laughs) a very deadly and dangerous pandemic. Um, But the fact that they talked about, like, the upsetting world conditions and anxiety and talking about how they hope this would all be over soon was super, super interesting for me. So, um, especially, too, even with not not to get too much into the political state, but I know they talked about newspaper authorities giving their, like, on opinion, exaggerating on things, which I feel is also very similar today, how we feel sometimes news sources... (laughs) might might over-dramatize a little bit, but um, can I ask how um, you came across the letters from the family during World War II?
1: Sure. So, the Smith family collection is one that we have here in the archives, and as you said, Rachel, they're a family from De and the collection came to us and was given in segments um, by various members of the family, first starting with the patriarch, the father, and then later one of the children, and then later um, a in-law of one of the individuals. So I came across the collection because when I first started, we had no guide to our collections. People who worked here just would go and find a box and know what was in it. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. We have to change that. So I literally um, typed up a guide to everything that we have, and in typing of it, I came to this description about this Smith family, and I'm like, ooh, what's that? And I personally enjoy or like the 1940s a lot, that component. And then when I started reading the letters, I found them to be, like you, incredibly rich and reflective of the time period. Um, there's 500 letters that five members of family wrote, basically, um, during 1941 to 1945. And one of the things I think is really incredibly valuable valuable in this collection and sort of reflects things that we might think about with the pandemic is we think we know history or we understand it the best we can from the history channel, from textbooks, from stories passed down in our families, whatever it might be. But you don't really understand history, I think, until you live it and then you read it by somebody who lived it. So for an example, I you know, have lots of degrees and background in history classes, but understood the essence of World War II, but it became much more powerful when I read these letters and they're talking about something like the daughter-in-law in Utah writes back and says to the mother-in-law here in De Pere, could you please spare your shoe rationing coupons? our daughters are outgrowing their shoes, and we don't know what to do for them. So something as simple as that, you can read it in a textbook. Oh, yeah, during World War Two, they had rationing. And you understand the concept, right? But you don't understand the idea that, oh, this is a three year old and a five year old, who grandma and peer needed to provide shoe rationing coupons. So they would have shoes on their feet, mm-hmm. or one of the individuals who writes letters she's very chatty and she's one of my favorites she's very amusing um she's in madison and the sister of the woman in de Pere, and she talks about how to get around chocolate bit rationing and i'm like chocolate bit rationing what is she writing about so i read the letter and she says will you wait until there's a fine young boy on duty at the grocery store And then when he's bagging your groceries, you ask him for two bags of chocolate bits and tell him that you're making cookies for the soldiers at the camp. And he'll give you two bags, one for the soldiers, and then you can make your own cookies. So what on some level, right, that's total minutia. But what a way of understanding that experience in the 1940s, which we can't have or replicate or go back in a time machine. So the letters let you do that, I guess. Or um, one of the individuals writes this really poignant letter about um, it's on New Year's Eve and she writes, I'm sitting here and the snow is gently falling. It's New Year's Eve. All is right in the world, but it does not seem to be. And so she's writing like um, after Pearl Harbor. So the United States has just gotten into the war. When will this be over? So similar to pandemic kinds of things. Right. When will this be over? So I just love this collection. It um, collect, connects with so many things. I agree. And um, it, it, I, again, I find it super interesting,
0: like the back and forth dialogue. And again, so coming from someone who doesn't enjoy history too much, I know when I was reading some of the first letters right in 1941 from Margaret, it was almost kind of like they this might sound super weird, but it's like, oh, yeah, these people had personalities. You know what I mean? And you think when you read through history and especially during that time, people were very improper, proper, maybe not showing as much emotion as we do now. I think that's something in like today's day and age we're maybe more comfortable with. Um, but when she would just talk about mundane things, she brought up anxiety, which for whatever reason, I was even like, Oh my gosh, they're talking about anxiety in 1941. That seems like such a new, such a new concept. Um, which was super interesting. And then also the letters that were sent from Mark back home, because um, he was stationed in Hawaii. And Correct. I'm currently watching this show. And in the show, they flash back to when the the husband was in the war in, in Vietnam. And so he was stationed in Vietnam. And um, you see that, and of course, it's heartbreaking. But then to actually sit down and read a letter of someone who's actually there was kind of made me think, oh, yeah, this is still an actual thing that happened. This isn't just... You know it's not just acting right uh, which right is exactly interesting to me
1: yeah. I was, what, go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say one of the things i love about those letters too is that i don't you didn't get the full 500 of them but i've read all of them for something a project i was working on and um one of the individuals one of the sons is dating a woman who her letters start to appear and there's references to other family members And I found myself and my staff who was reading on like we were turning the pages like the page of a really good book or something like what happens? Does he stay with Bobby or not? Does Bobby become his wife? We've got to know. And then literally we were reading these one day in the archives and I went, oh, no, he broke up with Bobby. What? (laughs) (laughs) So you're like become part of these people's lives. And. like if you know what you're looking for, there's a certain spot in one of the letters where there's a, uh, like a water stain on it, just a blotch. And we know from the content, we're fairly confident from the content of the letter that that's a tear stain that's on there. Okay. So then that makes it very um, tactile and visceral and real in a way that you can't get other from a book kind of thing.
0: For sure. That's kind of like what I think about when I write or, you know, writing a letter or something or a card to someone and I accidentally spill coffee <laughs> on my paper like that, but definitely more sad. Yeah. I, and I I, I agree, too. Like, I got so invested. And then because the letters came from several different family members and I was spending time trying to live like, OK, who's who, who's who? I'm keeping track of this. And then I got so used to Margaret saying such is life that I was able to start being like, I feel like she's going to say it here from what she just said. And then also on the next line would say like, such is life. And, and again, it was just, it was almost like, you know, people say you, you open a book and you open like to a whole another dimension or world. And it's right. like, I was reading these letters and these people were coming alive on the pages and I was picturing them in my head. So See, super- now you'll
1: know you've really become an archives um, convert and nerd when you start signing your emails or your letters, such as life you know, when you when you adapt to, from the past.
0: Such is life, Rachel, sign Rachel. Yep. <laughs> so I definitely connected with those letters the most for sure. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with how the way they were talking sounds nearly identical to the way that people are talking right now during the pandemic, which I think also made it easier for me to connect to the letters and understand them. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, it sounds like we're going through the exact same thing right now. And it almost, until they mentioned war, I'm like, oh yeah, Margaret is going through the pandemic with me, right? And then I'm like, no, wait, this is 1941, not, you know, 2020. So um, yeah, those collection of letters were fantastic. I was also wondering, and I asked this a little bit in the beginning, but I was wondering if we could expand on it about how you can go, like, how do you guys go about receiving the journal letters or the entries? Do you ask for them? Are they just sent to you Things like that, the mechanics.
1: So things come to us in probably two ways. Um, I like to call them active and passive. So an example of active would be we worked with an individual who recently published a book about the Green Bay Packers. And the book is all based on his father's diaries. And there's 20 some years worth of diaries. And they're 1930-ish and a little bit before His father was a sports editor for the Green Bay Press Gazette, and so he's writing about the Green Bay Packers, he's writing about his love life, he's writing about um, history of Green Bay, he's writing about world events, Mussolini, Hitler, and so on. So this researcher came in, and we worked with him for months, and he was referencing these diaries. So then I, being my passionate archives diary lover, (laughs) so, boldly said to him, so what's going to happen with those diaries? Do you you have a plan for them? And he said, well, no, I haven't really thought about it. So then I said, well, you you might want to consider donating to the archives and we would be honored um, if you wanted to donate them here. So he went home and talked about it with his adult children and those diaries are coming to us. Um, Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) So that's an example of active collecting where I saw something and I specifically like we would like that. Um, An example of what we call passive collecting means more like by chance, right? Where the archives is not necessarily directly engaged in something. So my story about that, one of my favorites, is this woman had heard me speak at some conference or genealogy event. A few weeks later, she came in and she said, well, I don't know if you would want these or not. I have 500 letters um, or 300, sorry. 300 letters between my husband and I while we were dating at UW-Madison, or I was at UW-Madison, he was at Marquette. Um, That was all she needed to say, and I was salivating already because (laughs) the letters are from 1959 to 1961, which is sort of a black hole in many archives. My theory is if people lived it, they don't think it's worthy to be preserved. So, well, I can remember that. These are my mom's diaries. These are my letters. Why would an archives want them? So that was one thing that was exciting. And the other thing that was exciting was that she said the letters were both hers and his. Now, no offense to any guys who are listening, but traditionally the men throw away the letters. And so oftentimes when you see a collection of war letters or dating courting letters, you only have what she kept. So you have the man's voice coming in and never the woman's voice. But these letters had both. So 300 some letters. I'm like, yes, please. And then she came back a couple of weeks later and she goes, well, I was going through some more stuff. I don't think you probably want these. There's like 250 letters only. It's my parents' courtship of letters. Wow. So it's a whole nother generation, right? And then she came back a third time and she said, well, you know, I was cleaning, and there's only 100 of these, but it was her grandparents' letters, which put me back then into the 1900s or early 1900s, turn of the century. So that was like amazing. Three different sets of courtship slash dating love letters from this one family, and they're just sweet and amazing and saccharine sweet in some cases. Like, oh, nobody calls anybody that Pookie or whatever anymore, right? Um, So it's, or Honey Bunches, I think was one of his favorites. So it's just a really fascinating way of receiving materials and um, gaining them. A lot of it's word of mouth where people like, oh, well, you know, you might want to check the archives. Some of it has come by a fun way in that we have students who take classes here and we use diaries in their class and they sometimes will be at an antique store and find a diary and they'll buy it and they'll bring it in and say like, oh, I love the diary class. And so here I wanted you to have this one from the antique store. So it's really fun that way. So it's fun. That is so exciting,
0: especially I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that there was the the diary class. Now that sounds like something I'd be interested in, probably want to get into before I graduate here within the next year. But yeah, uh, there's yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I, I love the the story of the three generations of love letters. I say, well, letter writing had to run in that family, apparently. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. In a really good way, too. Oh, yeah. Um, that's so unheard of nowadays. I know I, we talked about this in the last episode a little bit Um but I think some of my friends think I'm crazy because I still write letters and stuff, and they're just like, "Why don't you send a text?" I'm like, "It's just not the same." Like, I want if I have children, like I want them to go and right. like, "Mom, what were the letters between you and a teacher, or you and your, you know, right. you and dad right. or whatever?" And yep, that is so cool. I I love that, and now I want to read it. I want to read those too. <laughs> I know you talked about um, so the diary entries from Anna Schroeder. You said you had a there was a very interesting story of how you got that, the diaries. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure.
1: Um, one of the collections that I shared with Rachel was the diaries of a Outagamie County farm wife, and she kept diaries for 40 years, and they're just in your spiral bound school notebook, is how they, the whole entire time, that's how she kept them. Um, so, on that The story of how we received them was very interesting and new to me. So somebody had posted on Facebook and commented, you know, in a kind of sad way, I guess, that I don't know what to do with my grandmother's diaries. I have all these diaries and I feel like I should do something with them. I don't know what. And so a UWGB professor that I'm friends with on Facebook said, you should really talk to Debbie Anderson. So this um, granddaughter reached out to me via Facebook Messenger and we conducted the whole donation or acquisition of the diaries via Facebook Messenger. And then when it was time to actually receive the diaries, I went to their house here in Green Bay and um, enjoyed their homemade brand muffins that they had made for me. (laughs) But it was the first time I had seen the diaries and the first time I had met the donor. And usually it doesn't work quite that way. There's you know, more involvement or more physical contact, if you will. And so it's this whole idea, again, maybe, you know, pandemic kind of thing, like, oh, well, we can't talk to each other, but let's see how we can convey information or convey, in this case, the diaries. So um, that donation was fun, just conducting it all via um, email, Facebook Messenger, and a new experience for me.
0: Yeah, that is that is so cool and how the power of technology has definitely evolved from, you know, 1941 to now or wherever right. it is. Exactly. So I, I went through some of the the diary entries from Anna. Um, the one thing I did notice while reading these letters is if the letters weren't typewritten and they were handwritten, people wrote in very like fine cursive. So sometimes it was hard for me to read a little bit of it just because we don't really write in cursive anymore. But um. I had noticed, so, like, in the margins, she would always state what she talked about, and it would always be super, like, mundane things, like, we want to go fix a truck today, or we went to church today, and stuff, and this had went on for 40 years, you said, correct? Correct. And I, uh, like, it's almost unheard of for someone to do that, and, of course, it doesn't seem like Anna was, of course, I, I feel like every person is special, but, you know, not anyone that a lot of people knew about, and so how she was kind of like this silent voice through history. And also, um, I'm, I listened to another podcast. It's called work in progress by Sophia Bush. And she basically will just bring on people that inspire her and motivate her. Um, and they talk. And so she, I just listened to her episode with Lisa Ling, I think it was. And at the end of each episode, Sophia always asks, um, her guess, like what is something that is a work in progress for you right now whether personal you know professional and Lisa had said that um she had talked about how she just wants to remember every day of her life like she wants to make sure that every day is a life or you know yeah every day is a day worth living and all of these things and so when I was going through Anna's letters it kind of made me think of that because even if it was something so mundane as fixing the truck or going to church it's you know, she has this complete record of her life for 40 years, which is something most of us don't have. We won't have um, with increasing technology and stuff. But So,
1: yeah, I think one thing that's interesting when you have those um, diaries that are filled with minutiae, um, you know, on the first read through, it's like, oh, minutia, minutia, minutia. Um, minutiae of the past, but really it helps you better understand the past or make it come alive, right? So I'm going to guess a lot of the audience members might not be um, canners, you know, so if we read or preserving garden goods, whatever, if we read Anna Schrader's diaries, it's not necessarily that she has a page in the diary entry that says, this is how you make um, canned tomato sauce or whatever, but it's just that feeling of needing to can and how much that's an integral part of one's life right Mm -hmm. so i think that that comes about from the minutiae it also lets you think about things um there's a great collection of diaries in eau claire at the university there and it's the best collection and the longest running collection of farm diaries in the nation i think and what's what's interesting about them when you use them and study them they too come across as minutia because every diary entry starts with the weather. Now, if you pause if you're reading through it, you're like, oh, boring, boring, boring. Can you stop with the weather already? But if you pause and you think about it, why was that farmer recording the weather every day? Because his entire livelihood, his family's entire livelihood hinged on the weather. So that's an integral part of his life, worth Noting in the diary then, or worth recording. Um, So we don't really care, you know, on September sixth, eighteen ninety seven, what the temperature was. And there's other ways to find it faster than reading this guy's diaries. But we care about uh, farming lifestyle, agricultural, for example. So those are some things I think when you look at minutia. One of the class that we teach is we use a set of diaries that a woman kept for fifteen years or so. And they fall during the right time period when John F. Kennedy is assassinated in 1963. So one of the um, approaches I like to do with the class is we look at the diary entry on November 22nd, 1963. So if you think about currently, and you think about somebody in the news or somebody famous, if they died and they're significant to us or significant to the world or the country, we probably would make a note in our diary entry, right? So we turn to November 22nd, 1963, and the woman's name is Hazel. So we expect her to write John F. Kennedy, Dear President, Assassinated Today. She does write um, President Assassinated Today, period. I went to Jimmy with, I went to the malt shop, saw Jimmy, I think he likes me, period. So, you know, within the context of her diary entry, yes, I acknowledge the world has turned on its axis because Kennedy's assassinated. But really, Jimmy like me in my world as a teenager, is more important than Kennedy being assassinated. Um, so it's fascinating when you also look at some of those long-running diary collections and you turn to known dates. Like um, in 2019, we turned to our diary pages and Anna Schrader was one of them. Um, what did they say in July 1969 when people landed on the moon, when we had our first moon landing? So, I mean, we think about the moon landing as just part of our growing up. But if you think about it in 1969, it was shocking. It was revolutionary. It was like, what? People on the moon? How can that be? And so to see this ordinary Anna Schrader out of gamey farm wife talk about moon landing and how she was glued to the television set and whatever it might be, that makes history alive. Yeah.
0: I think, too, uh, talking a little bit about that, more about, like, location of things, and this is going back to the letters um, from the Smith family, what and, of course, like we had preface that they're they're from De Pier, so of course, I was thinking, okay, they they would have been ten minutes away from me where I am right now, But when they were mentioning, you know, we went to Madison today or you know um up in Green Bay and all this stuff, and they're talking about all these locations in Wisconsin, and it's so weird again to make that connection and be like, oh yeah, there are people that were alive, you know what 80 years ago and and they could have been walking right where I was walking right now or the building that I'm in could have been something completely different for them and it just like makes you stop and think for a second and reflect about like the lives past um, right were there before you which was also very interesting for me and also made me feel very small in a way if that makes sense but in a great Mm -hmm. way this fact that there's just so much more, and so much that has happened that you know should still be present, like these letters and stuff that make the earth go around, and all of those things. So it was Good very things, yeah, yes. Um, so you had also mentioned the I think it was an event you went to, or
1: like the journal letter writing kind of deal. Oh, sure. Um, so One of the things that I have thought about is why people keep diaries and why people keep journals and how does that get reflected in the archives materials and why do they write letters and so on. So I studied a whole bunch of them at one point for an event that I was helping with, and I read lots of different kinds of letters, lots of different kinds of diaries from a whole range of people. And one of the things I thought about is that sometimes people will start a journal because a momentous change occurs in their life. So, like, one of the better examples we have is of this woman who, in 1852, she leaves Scotland as an immigrant and comes to America. So she starts her diary at that point because the momentous change occurs. So if you think about it, you know, we may be having people in today's world like, I am staying at home right now because of the pandemic. So I need to journal. I need to pick up journaling again. I need to get my feelings down on paper because of this isolation, at least I can quote talk to my journal kind of thing. So very similar to um, Isabel McKinnon, who is that Scottish immigrant. I think sometimes too people start a diary because they recognize or make a diary entry at least because they recognize something significant is happening. And for that one, I would think about um, Cordelia Harvey, who's the governor's wife in Wisconsin in the Civil War. And she decides that Wisconsin has good clean air, brisk northern air, and so this could be good for the Civil War soldiers. So she travels by train and demands an audience with Abraham Lincoln. So in her diary entries, she records then Abraham Lincoln's response to her request to create a hospital to help the boys. So that was something momentous. Um, I think sometimes people record or start diaries to help them through um, the spectrum of human experiences. Like one of my most moving diaries, I would say, is one that tries to navigate some deep emotions associated with painful events. And the diary is from the 1890s and it's of a farm wife. And basically she records the dying over several months of her young son named Nate. And it's incredibly powerful. But then you talk about um, the idea of minutia because most of her diary entries are like, canned 30 jars of sweet pickles today, canned whatever, tomatoes, um, went to town to the granary. So very boring, very farm wife, very not significant. But every once in a while then, there is this other entry, sat up with Nate tonight, coughed up two pints of blood. So we know he has TB or what would be called TB now, tuberculosis. So every once in a while, she's going through this um, and just slips those entries in. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if my son were dying, pints of blood, I would not be canning pickles. I would not be doing anything except sitting beside his bed. And, um, What makes it more powerful in this case of a diary entry recording human experiences is that she says, went to town, got 37 or three yards of black silk cloth. Now think for a minute. Why is she getting black silk cloth in the 1890s? Not I guess? Funeral clothes. So here she is, canned sweet pickles, went to town, got my black silk cloth, Sat up with Nate tonight, he can barely catch his breath. How, oh, that's a really powerful and incredible kind of diary. Yeah. So I think we'll always have those diarists, but I do think the art of letter writing is fallen by the wayside. Like I'm on this one woman mission to, like, I will not text you or whatever. If I can write you a letter, I'll send you a letter. (laughs) Um, That's my own personal mission. So I think similar to diaries, um, people do them for their own reason, but I don't think we're picking up a pen, sending a letter to a friend, a parent, a lover, a child. It's obsolete. Um, but in the 19th and early 20th century, it's the major means of communication is letter writing, waiting beside that mailbox for news of whatever it might be. So similar to diaries, I think letter writing happens um I don't know, like that same kind of immigrant experience, sharing the new experience of a new country. Um, I love the diary or letter of one woman who writes back home and she says, "Um, the streets really aren't paved with gold here in Wisconsin. I'm not quite (laughs) sure what I'm doing here. Or my other favorite one is this Norwegian guy and he's a lumberjack in the Eau Claire area. He writes a letter home to Norway to his brother, I think, who's coming and he draws a circle on the letter. And the letter, the note next to the circle says, when you come, if you could bring a ring this size, I've met a fine young woman. So he's writing back to Norway, can you bring me this wedding ring? I've met a fine young woman. So it's that idea of sharing their new experiences or whatever it might be. Um, Sometimes it's to share common experiences. You know, we're all in the civil war, we're all in the pandemic together, we're all um, locally in 1871, experiencing the pestigo fire, so that kind of thing, um, catching up on each other's lives, though so that's the most common, like, you know, dad did this, and I did this, and the hens laid 20 eggs, and, you know, it took me a while to find them all, or the love letters, like we talked about, one of my other favorite kinds of collections is those that, they're not very plentiful, but they sneak in once in a while, um, where, Daughters, mostly, will write moms and ask for child-rearing advice, so it's a way that you can understand parenting in the 1950s, in this example, where the daughter writes back to the mom here in Green Bay and says, well, just how much castor oil should I give Billy when he's misbehaving? (laughs) So that gives you a whole idea of, okay, they use castor oil to solve misbehaving problems, and you know, where are you going to get that kind of detail or figure that kind of stuff out? So, um, those are some reasons that people might think about keeping diaries and letters. And I think what's true of the past applies to the future, you know, that mm-hmm. you can keep the diary and letter for those same very reasons in today's world. Um, as people think about recording their experiences with the pandemic and Um, social injustice, and all that's going on in our world. Um, Diaries and letters are an awesome way to put it down on paper. I
0: agree. I want to, I know we're getting into letters a little bit, but I wanted to hop back um, when you were talking about how people begin to start, well, I guess either writing letters, but um, mainly like keeping track of the, the diary entries when something big is going on, whether that's good or bad. And so, Of course, like, I'm an English major, and so I'm a writer, but once I became an adult and I started college and I have a job and all these responsibilities, like, I never, ever get time to write for myself anymore. If I'm writing it's for, you know, an analysis essay, it's for, it's a poem for class or whatever it is. And um, so when I had moved back home at the start of the pandemic, my... (laughs) It's very funny. So I kind of hoard notebooks even, and I never end up getting through all of them, but now all my friends, that's what they'll get me for Christmas and birthdays is notebooks. So I just keep stacking these notebooks that I like, haven't been able to touch yet. And my roommate had given me one right um, the day that we had moved out to go back home. And it's I actually, I have it right here. And I, cool. um, and I remember sitting down and it was the night before my 20th birthday. So March 20th, 2020. And I had, was like, you know what? I'm home now. Um, I had just found out that I for load from work, obviously for safety reasons and everything. And and I was like, now is the time more than ever to to start writing. And it didn't last as long as I would have liked it to because then I went back to work and it got busy. But um, I talked about mundane stuff too. So kind of how every day where the the farm man would track the weather, I was keeping track of the cases in oh, the sure. world, in the country, in the U. S. Um, and how important that was to me, like I have my quarantine schedule on here, so how it worked with online school, the death cases were rising, um, and then I talked about, of course, when the protests started, and, you know, with the with Black Lives Matter and everything, and I have all of this recorded, so I was like, even if it's not for me... I mean, it is for me, of course, but this this fact that like, OK, I, someone if I die and someone goes through all of my notebooks one day, like I need them to find this because I need them to know. And especially and unfortunately, just like in the world that we live in today, it's so hard to almost trust what you're hearing because you're hearing so many different things. And that fact where it's like, OK, well, here is someone who experienced it firsthand. And I know it's not just me, um, which kind of ties into the Wisconsin Historical Society. Yes. As well and you guys asking for um, letters and journal entries which we'll get into but I just thought it's just it's again so cool how it's i can I'm able to relate with people from so many decades ago and be like yeah I also started a journal because now we're in a pandemic in 2020 and
1: <laughs> all of that. exactly exactly yeah. I had started um a journal I mean I was off and on doing journal entries you know I have my I don't know, five-year diary that I got when I was 12, you know, little secret code letters in there about so my brother wouldn't know which boy I had a crush on. And then, and I can't remember what the code stands for now when I reread it, like, dang, who did I have a crush on? Um, So I have that. And then I would wax and wane with keeping a diary over time. But when my son was born, I set out a goal for myself that, you know, the life of your child or childhood is so fleeting, it seemed. And, um, I set a goal for myself that I'm going to keep a diary for him of his days. So I kept that diary from the moment he was born until he was 12 years old. So 365 days a year, there's an entry about his life, about his childhood, you know, and somebody said to me, are you going to give that to an archives? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Um, but it's, (laughs) proving to be um, fun family fodder right now because um, his fiance will call or email and say, okay, is it true that he could speak in full sentences by the time he was 10 months old? Because that's what he's saying. Can you look it up in the diary? So I'll (laughs) go back. back. So we have um, story hour with diaries on our family chats. So the idea being though, what's the impact? Well, the birth of the child was the impact. To start yeah. that diary then and to reflect back on it. And you know, what do I hope happens with that? Maybe it'll end up in an archives. But I think, you no, know, more importantly, it represents a life, a moment in his life and a moment in my life that then can be shared forward to the next generations, right? Yeah. So if you think about it from a personal point, whether it does or doesn't end up into the archives, it tells you who I was as a mother, new mother, and it tells you. How he was as this baby and then going into childhood and so on so it's kind of cool that way well i hope it's cool but i don't know
0: uh, oh no I, okay trust me i think it is very cool um well, again whether or not it goes into the archives now i again i'm i'm t- getting all these tips from you i'm like
1: okay well if i have a kid then i need to record everything that happens from, like, Yep. and the uh, worst one was that well worst. i don't know if it's meant worse that's probably not the right descriptor <laughs> i so the the diary for him. i kept for us, for personal reasons then. Mm-hmm. But um, I have to say my work life infiltrated my life when I was expecting because I'm like, there are no diaries kept by pregnant women. I am going to record everything that's happening to me while these nine months are unfolding. So I have a pregnancy diary as well. Gosh. And yeah, that one I haven't looked back on yet. So, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it if you think of it, tell the story. So yeah. And again, whether that ends up in an archives, like we're saying, or it's just telling your own story for yourself to look back on, um, to see growth, to see experience, to see change, to see feelings or whatever it might be. Or if it does get shared within your small circle of family or whatever, or as an English major, it becomes an inspiration for some story in the future or whatever it might be.
0: For sure, yeah. I think it's still it's still just as impactful and important because I um I even I like to go through my journals a lot when I get like super sentimental. I'm like, what was I what was I writing about when I was 18 versus 20, which doesn't seem like a huge difference, but all of a sudden I'll start going through and be like, I totally forgot that this happened, and like I would never remember again if I didn't have it written down. Um, and that always kind of gets me like. Okay, Rachel, you should probably be writing writing more about your life and documenting more than your life than what you're doing right now. And Instagram is not enough to do that for you. <laughs>
1: <So> you have <laughs> too to, too few sound bites on Instagram. Yeah. Too few characters.
0: <laughs> Two, yes, too few. Um, wow, I love that. I, I love, oh, sorry. I get I always get so excited when I get in. When we talk about writing, and I get like oh, all <laughs> jazzed up. I guess. Um, with with and whether it's about um. Letters or diaries, journal entries, or all three. Um, I was wondering if you talk a little bit about your personal experiences as an archivist and how um, that's present in the pandemic. So as we're talking about this kind of like physical ephemera, both in this episode and the last one, I've been questioning like how... Us, like, as a human, you know, as a population, but specifically for you as an archivist, like, how are you going to study the pandemic in the future um, when we're definitely not writing as many letters anymore? Because I can be writing something, but I'm just, you know, one person compared to where there's, again, many, many people writing how many decades ago, because that was their only form of Mm -hmm. recording things. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Well, I would say that, you know, technology is wonderful, but it's really shifted a landscape for archivists. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is if you think about the vast changes within technology and how much that impacts our everyday life and how fast some of that technology is changing. So, for example, if, you know, the audience looks around and do you have a computer right now that will play a five and a quarter inch disc? Nope. That old technology, right? Do you have a computer that will play a three and a half inch disc? Nope. What's a disc, right? Right. Um, so you have all of those things that are vastly changing, which then impacts like, well, how are we going to study the future? How will we understand the pandemic beyond um, news media outlets, beyond, you know, we can't harvest people's Facebook pages. It might be happening, but you know we as an archives can't be harvesting Facebook pages to get stories. We can't go in and um, gain that kind of information. So archivists spend a lot of time thinking about how are we going to study the present in the future. So I told the story about the disks because, you know, some people say, well, I'll just give you, I'll download my Skype and I'll give it to you on a flash drive and then you can save it. Well, yes, but again, back to do we have a three and a half inch disk reader? No. So we can't predict in the future. Are we going to have a mechanism to read that device, whatever way you give it to me? So we have to purposefully, I think, think about that. And this pandemic has been um, a perfect example of that. Archivists across the nation quickly, quickly, within days in March, came to realize we need to gather these stories we can't wait five years from now, six years, 10 years to find a diary in an attic and somebody will give me a physical diary of their pandemic experience. Not going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. we can have Rachel's, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen overall across the nation. And it's certainly not going to happen with the um, economic, social, political disparity that we have amongst all different kinds of individuals. So archivists had to very quickly scramble and turn out ways to tell the story of the pandemic for the future. And one of the things that we came up with for um, UW Green Bay is a program that we're calling Community Voices Stories for the Archives. So instead of um, stories from the archives where we tell you stories based on collections, we want you to tell us your story. So our product or project that we put together is a very simple um, questionnaire, if you will. It's journal prompts to write, to respond to kind of narrative questions. Most of them are open-ended and it's just a very straightforward comes to us when you hit the submit button as a Google um, document or a Google sheet. So we're able to gather then the stories of people as they're living the pandemic. So we purposely built questions or asked questions that would get at, you know, your home life, your work life, your, um, I think one of the questions is, what would you like the future to know about your experience during COVID-19? And so it very much tries to get a feel of what's happening right now. And the responses that we have sort of convey exactly that, meaning that you have a wide range of very political statements that are being made um, in the context of the pandemic. You have very personal statements that are being made. Um, I can't go and visit my family member in the hospital. I feel like he's dying or they're dying. And I can't see them and this is incredibly difficult or hard to you know a comment from a parent who might say the kids are driving me crazy (laughs) i'm ready for them to go back to school so you have all these things by based on the questions that we asked where people are sharing their experiences and then it's our job to take that archive it and then it will be there you know covid19 pandemic um personal experiences, and it will be made available then to the researchers of the future so that hopefully they get a glimpse of it and can understand better and understand more of the human experience than just relying on news stories for a lot of that information. So we think it's exciting and an exciting project that we'll see unfold then. I think it's also kind of across the nation archives, um, whether it's the pandemic or not, Um, Black Lives Matter, other situations, just sheer technology changes. We're seeing more of an upswing, if you will, in oral histories where there might be purposeful programs. I want you to tell me your experience with the Vietnam War or your experience with um, civil rights marches. Sometimes it's more along the lines of StoryCorps where I'm going to go and record about my wedding and a 1960s wedding or whatever it might be. So we see an upswing, I think, in oral histories that way. And that's going to be part of the pandemic, I think, as well. That's still coming, where we'll try to go out and interview um, essential workers so that we can understand they don't have time to fill out my survey right now. So what was your experience as a nurse? What was your experience as somebody working in the food industry or teaching or whatever it might be so I think those oral history projects will be coming in the future Sure. once once we all can turn our attention to something else but yeah. yeah
0: yeah I think both both you know keeping track of it physically on paper um your experiences with it and then the oral history are both great ways of course you know letters and and, and journal entries are a little more physical but I also love the idea of like the oral history project but I think about that too when you when you're writing about... Well, first of all, I'm glad that you're getting responses. I'm always worried that... I know I posted, like, a, a little survey thing for our last episode, and I didn't get too many responses, which was a little sad. So I'm glad to hear that you have gotten, um, gotten them, because that's very important. But I think, too, especially... I, I keep saying with the world we live in, but it, it's true with the world we live in, like, even... You know, even when things shut down and everyone was at home, all of a sudden, all of us are like, okay, well now's the time to do all these things that I wanted to do, and I have to do them now. Like I have to do them now, or otherwise I'm not, I'm not gonna have time. And this, this kind of idea that I think most Americans follow—that if you are not being productive 100% of the time, oh. you're, you, you're, you're, you're less than. Yeah. Or if you show any emotion, you're weak. Um, and I think taking the time um, I was thinking about this specifically to what we're tying into with the Wisconsin historical society asking for the journals was one. It's a fantastic idea to keep track of a historical moment. Like we've been discussing, it's so crucial, but it also gives an outlet for those who submit their journals to sort their feelings out. It has been unbelievably confusing and sad and stressful. And I think, um, And of course I can't, I can't speak for other people, but I even know sometimes too, I would avoid writing. So I'm like, I'm too emotional. I can't be emotional right now. Like I can't be feeling these things. I need to be productive. And so um, I think it's great that uh, people are, I guess, coming out more and being like, yeah, this sucks. Like I may come across as super strong and I'm doing all these great things amidst the pandemic, but I am still stressed out beyond belief or whatever. So yeah. Maybe a little, maybe a little sappy, maybe a little too sappy from my viewpoint, but I, I think
1: I think it's great both ways. So mm-hmm. exactly. So I know you mentioned the WHS or the Wisconsin Historical Society project. I can um, share with that just a little bit because it's kind of a different spin on the idea of um, collecting for the future. And so very quickly in March, the Wisconsin Historical Society came out with a project about collecting journals, and um, literally they have. Created on their website some journal templates, journal entry templates um, for a couple different platforms or formats. And so in that particular case, they are challenging you or asking you, can you keep a diary or a journal for 90 days? Now this was back in March, so mm-hmm. the 90 days, you know, were well past 90 days. <laughs> um, so the concept being, could you? It's it's just a 90 day commitment or a 60 day, whatever it is that you could do. And, um, similar to ours, all of us are reaching out to diversity, um, and cutting across all lines. So we're asking school children to turn in their journals or their diaries or fill out the survey that I mentioned that we have, or we're asking retirees or educated, not educated frontline workers, um, you know, all kinds of individuals, are being asked to do this journal project. And what's kind of cool, it's morphed a little bit over time since it was launched in March. Mm-hmm. And for some people like you and I are writers and um, you know, our lives are based on words and that kind of thing where other people express in different ways. So they've started um, also getting some art turned in that's reflective oh. of an artist's feelings. So that's the art journal, so to speak. Um, or in lieu of a journal, and they're doing a really cool project where, you know, okay, well, what medium are you working in? Um, Let's see that as well. They also had something where they asked people, can you design a poster that's reflective of the pandemic, represent the pandemic in a poster. And so they've curated those posters and have now added those to the collection as well, so if you think about 50 years from now, when you're trying to understand, well, what's this thing, the 2020 pandemic? You'll be able to read these journal entries or read the responses we received, look at this art that's being created, and understand maybe a little bit more about what was really going on and what we're all feeling, experiencing, etc.
0: Yeah. It's like it's almost like um, an entire movement, kind of, <laughs> you know. I, and I guess I guess it is. Um, so I I love the idea of The art pieces, too, because, again, um, even though it's great that people are keeping diaries and whatnot, it may not be like the best outlet for everybody. So that idea that we have different mediums like the oral history project or even, you know, people might be doing it by taking photos on their phone and keeping them on Instagram, whatever it is like. Um, it's great that people have, like, all those different outlets. Mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if anyone is interested in that, then you should um, go head over to either both the survey or the Wisconsin Historical Society website to do that. I've been back and forth on whether I want to do that or not, because obviously journals are very personal. But I think it's great to keep track of history. Yeah. of course. So... Well, Deb, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a wonderful time talking with you, and even though we just met a couple weeks ago, uh, it almost feels like I've known you for a very long time just by the way we talk. So
1: I love <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that's great. Well, I, it was. Um, thank you for giving me an opportunity to obviously talk about one of my passions and to share that out <laughs> with your audience and with you. Like, come on, let's write a journal. Let's do a diary. We can do it. Um, so it's fun. I totally enjoyed myself. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Indented is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer is Ryan Martin and the production manager, manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller. Thank you, Sarah. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Bleese. Special thanks to our guests today, Deb Anderson and to the Indented faculty advisor, Dr. Rebecca Meacham. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast to check out past episodes of this and all of our shows. I'm your host, Rachel Sankey. Thanks for listening.